0: Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, we have Pastor Sam Lee, who is the pastor at Eden Tree Church in Los Angeles, California. Pastor Sam, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: What's up, Dennis? It's good to be here. <laughs>
0: yeah, thanks man. I am I am uh I'm glad. I had a good um time the last time we talked. We chatted for a little bit. Um but we had met um I don't know how many years ago it was now. It was probably I, don't know, like, my,
1: I think it's almost a decade ago now.
0: Yeah, something like that, right? Um Yeah. And you've been you've been doing ministry um in the valley with like the Korean church is that correct? You were with the Korean church for a long time? is are you still connected to the korean church at all or is your church completely independent at this point
1: well i'm trying to still connect but um i think as of like probably as of this past like year uh we've severed ties and uh almost completely and and um because of you know certain things and and uh, so i don't have any like i have like relationship with korean pastors uh that i try to still um keep that bridge open mm-hmm. but as far as ministries go we don't have any connection anymore
0: yeah yeah, yeah so that's interesting because um what i hear from you is that you would you would like to have ties but just of it course. doesn't seem like that's
1: possible right now of course i'm korean yeah you know <laughs> yeah and i want to stay connected
0: <laughs> yeah no i totally understand you know i for me i grew up um well when i was in high school i went to a korean church in san diego and um and then when I went to college, I kind of got out of the Korean church. So I was out of the Korean church for, you know, about 10, a little over 10 years, something like that. And, um, yeah. you know, I would occasionally speak at like a Korean church retreat or, or something like that. But I had no real official ties to the Korean church. And then I felt like the Lord um, told me to serve at a Korean church in, in Orange County at Thanksgiving church. And I remember when I felt like I I heard him say that I was actually pretty surprised. I was like, God, why? Why would I want to do that? And um, and yeah, I I I was not looking forward to that, you know. And anyways, but I was obedient, and I was just like, okay, Lord, if this is what you want. And um, and then I served at a Korean church for about you know seven years or something like that. And um, God really gave me such a strong heart for the Korean church. Like when I was there, I just felt like He gave me um this incredible. Um, gratitude and appreciation, you know, for the Korean church, and um, you know, the thing is, I, it's not like I'm ignorant of all the weaknesses, you know, in the in the Korean church. Like, you know, there's a lot of controlling stuff. There's, um, you know, there's a reason why so many young Koreans who are raised in churches and, and raised Christian, um, they want nothing to do with the Korean church anymore, you know. Yeah. And you see with a lot of um, even pastors, I know a lot of former pastors in the Korean church who just felt like so used and just and then just kind of cast off, you know? So mm-hmm. I say all that to say that, you know, I, I know there's so many weaknesses in the Korean church, but at the same time, I feel like such a, you know, such a, a sense of honor for the Korean church. Like, I definitely would not be the person that I am today. I would not have, you know, the value for prayer, the value for, you know like duty (laughs) like they really (laughs) inculcate that you know um and um and i just had so many amazing people that poured into me you know when i was a you know young believer in the lord and and you see that in korean churches where you have all of these you know older um a lot of cases college students or young adults who are pouring into the young people right they're pouring into their youth groups and things like that and um you know there's something that that's that's really special and amazing about that so I just say all that to say that you know I I share your heart and and, um, you know I I want to be connected with the Korean church. Actually, when um you know when I was applying for jobs, I applied for a number of Korean churches because I my heart was I wanted to be there. Um, but honestly, Pastor Sam, I'm you know I was just joking with somebody today. I'm like basically unemployable in the Korean church right now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So. I think I am too, bro.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, why how come for you, man?
1: Well, I mean, I I think that uh I have a pretty good uh I feel I feel like the Korean church and all the things that you just mentioned are definitely true. And um, but I've always kind of thought of it as things that are a result of not just like them being Korean but Korean immigrants in America. Mm-hmm. And kind of a loss of uh, being away from home. So they've made the, the church their um, kind of connecting point back back to their roots, you know. So yeah. there's a lot of possessiveness because of that, I feel like. And um, so I've kind of always had a spirit of understanding. I served in the Korean church a long time mm-hmm. uh, in the same church. I grew up in a Korean church. Um, I, I served there. And then the last this, and then this, the, this recent Korean church I was a part of, it was a relationship we had over 15 years. So, like, you know, I, I, you know, gained weight and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my health suffered to some extent. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I really think that that happens in any ministry. But Korean churches have their unique way of uh, taxing you. So. Um, But I still love the Korean community, of course, and uh, the immigrant community. And, um, but one thing that I couldn't, I always told myself would be the breaking point would be um, if, if the church that I'm serving at encroaches on and invades my sense of conviction about the gospel and the specific. Uh, ministry and calling that God had given to me mm-hmm. that that will break, break up the ministry. I'm willing to endure all kinds of nonsense, but if it's encroaching on my convictions about the gospel and my personal sense of calling in Christ, then I would have to sever ties. And yeah, it, it really, you know, they weren't asking me to compromise um the, the gospel per se, but they wanted me to tolerate false teaching. Mm-hmm and um that really broke it for me because I was part of a denomination that was already doing that as a whole yeah and then i uh but i thought it would never come to the korean church that they would never put that demand on us yeah because i know heretics in my denomination and um but i thought you know the korean church is conservative man they're never going to they're never going to bother me about this but they started to want concessions like not necessarily you know, not necessarily teach the false teaching, but to be open to have people uh, that are going to teach about it and to not speak against it, to not alienate people. Yeah. And it the demand, the call was be more seeker sensitive, seeker friendly. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't really think seeker friendly, seeker-sensitive churches. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but. I took hardline stances about what people were saying are just social political stances, but to me, it was clear that this is not just social political stances. They're 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 teaching a new gospel, yeah, unbiblical and uh, another Jesus. It was heresy to me, and I was just like, this is false doctrine, and these are not non-essential things that church people could disagree about. These these are now proclaiming a different Jesus and. And proclaiming a different kind of morality and different kind of life, and um, and so it was a it was a call to for me to like tolerate it. And so, starting like two years like five years ago, I started teaching against this stuff, Mm -hmm. preparing my congregation for a hardline stance that our church was going to take. So I try to prep my congregation. So sorry, Uh, just just for our our listeners who are you know hearing
0: this for the first time, what what specific false teachings are you referring to here?
1: uh at its foundation its marxism ne- uh neo-marxist teaching where the bible is the foundation of all evil in the world um christianity being the vehicle by which oppression has come upon the earth and um and namely through the west um and it can take on all kinds of you know different formulations right right um the male gender you know the heterosexual normatives and then uh being white um being whatever like all whatever the power structure is this whole way of of measuring righteousness and unrighteousness is based on um this kind of simplistic view of power right and uh you imbue sin through that and then salvation is then Introduced how salvation can happen. Yeah. And um, that is not, that's, that's another gospel, man. And uh, it's deceptive because it, it plays on, it enters it through the door based on things that Christians care about. Mm-hmm. We care about injustice as Christians. How could you not, right? Right. But in the formulation of what, where the problem comes from and the solutions proposed, that's where this is a demonic ideology. And it produces death all around the world, and so, and chaos, uh, the degradation of society, right. people's psychology. I can't. I can't, I don't. I don't know. I don't yeah. want to keep going on. Yeah, but no, I That's hear what you. I'm talking about.
0: So, uh, what I find is that yeah, we're talking about this kind of neo-Marxist apparatus, right? Which is this idea. That there are oppressors in our culture, and they oppress all the other groups, something like that. And yeah. um, you know, just to bring our listeners up to you know speed with all this, like you know, the the formulation goes that there's many different types of oppression now, right? Kind of classical Marxism is that it's it was the the owners of the factories were oppressing all the workers, right? But that kind of classical Marxist formulation has gone through you know an evolution where You know, Marxist theorists have basically said, "Oh, there's actually many ways that people are oppressed, and you can belong to several different groups, oppressed groups, right?" This is the theory of intersectionality, right? Where you can you can be a gay black woman. Now you're oppressed in three different ways, right? You're oppressed oppressed because there's the male on female oppression, there's the straight on gay oppression, and then there's the white on black oppression. And you know, if you belong to that group, you're oppressed by all of these groups, right? So this is a way of, of seeing the world, and yeah, as we talk about a lot on this podcast, this um, worldview is encroaching a lot, obviously, um, in our nation. But the the big part that's concerning for us as church leaders is that it is encroaching so deep into the church, right? So, yes. Sam, Pastor Sam, what I'm curious about is, you know, what was what was the open door for you? And what I mean by that is, like, did your pastor, um, you know, did your senior pastor come and say, "Hey, I want you to teach," you know classic Marxism and, you know, start railing on the, the capitalist bourgeoisie, like what, what was the issue that he wanted you to compromise on initially?
1: Well, I don't think he, he, really, uh, made emphatic kind of like requests of me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, there, there are times where, I mean, he was very friendly to it. So like he thinks that Marxist understanding of things and neo-Marxism because their pursuit is so uh righteous that how could it be bad? And why would you want to alienate those people? You could guide them into a better direction in in right. you know, biblical truth and things like that. And he was friendly to he felt friendly, he felt like neo-Marxism and and you know, Christian faith could coexist. Mm-hmm. I was not there. I was just thought, you know, no, those things are cannot coexist. One is an antichrist. To me, as a pastor, mm-hmm. the concern was, I know there's so many concerns, right? It's, it doesn't make sense if you keep going along that. It's illogical, first of all. Mm-hmm. And so it just it's just very uh, easy to think that way. But if you kind of take it out to its kind of conclusions, there's a lot of like cognitive dissonance. right? And you really have to force yourself to be cultish in the way you think to hold, uh, you know, contradictory thoughts in your head at the same time requires a kind of cultish faith mm-hmm. and, um, and it really affects your mental health. So we could talk about, you know, yeah. psychologically, et cetera, but as pastors, my biggest problem was this is another gospel, man. And, um, and I, I know people that are preaching this gospel and it's not producing disciples of Jesus Christ. They destroy the scriptures, not outright, but trying to subvert its meaning. Yeah. And so I just got sick and tired of it. And when my pastor was constantly saying like, I don't want you to alienate these people. And I was like, I don't want to alienate those people. What I'm trying to do is make sure that my congregation doesn't think that this is Christianity. Right. And, um, and I have a responsibility to those that are within the church for them to be able to divide the word of truth over this. Mm-hmm. And so now we have critical race theory being taught to elementary school kids and, This is insane, like how far it's gotten. Yeah. And, um, and with that, the Korean church doesn't want to alienate their kids, basically. Right. So their kids have grown up and gone to college and been indoctrinated by this. Yeah. And a targeted indoctrination program and, you know, their university and, and they can't get jobs. They come home and they won't, they don't want to go to church and they feel like their parents are oppressors and like, you know, this kind of like, weird kind of situation and so they want them to come to church the pastors want the kids to come to church even and congregation members like why aren't they coming they'll basically say the pastor's crazy he's an oppressive you know patriarchy yeah Yeah. and
0: yeah well i mean you got this problem i mean let's talk about that because i've seen i've seen a lot of entryways for christians Right. A lot of different. Yes. I'll give like a, a, a handful of the ones that I've seen. Right. A big one is this idea of social justice. Right. It's like, hey, yeah. the church has to do social justice. And what people mean by that, you know, in one sense is just helping the poor. Well, that's a Christian value. That's that's charity. There's nothing yes. wrong with that. Right. But the deeper you get into the ideology, social justice is not just helping the poor. And, and it's now it's coming to the aid of of, um, you know, those who identify as gay. Right, They're yes. oppressed in our culture. This is the way the narrative goes. They're oppressed in our culture, and so we as Christians have an obligation to stand up for them as oppressed peoples, and, you know, and we, have to, we have to protect them. We have to get their back. We have to show them the love of Christ. See, and all of that sounds very compelling for a young believer, but then the question is, well, what are you protecting them from exactly? Right. Because the reality is, look, there's no there's there aren't raving bands of straight lunatics who are going around murdering gay people or something like that. Right. What they're protecting them from are people like you and me. (laughs) Right. Who are standing up, you know, in, in a pulpit and saying that homosexuality is sinful. Right. This is the historic position. This is the clear position of the scriptures. We are the targets. Right. We are the enemy. Right, so what starts to happen is you know you take a young believer who who just wants to love people and stand for the oppressed, and now they're and they're realizing more and more, oh, the oppressor is the pastor, and that's just one avenue. Right, another one is like you know the patriarchy. Right, and who's who's the enemy of, of of the of the feminist movement? Well, it's the pastors, right, who are saying that wives must submit to husbands. Right, this is classic patriarchal thinking from a you know a, a third wave feminist, Marxist, neo Marxist point of view, and the list goes on and on and on with all these different things that that contradict historic. Um, you know, uh, orthodox doctrine in the church. And this is what a lot of Christians don't understand. From the Marxist perspective, Christianity is one of the main pieces of the oppressor apparatus. It's not a side thing. Christianity is one of the main targets. If you're an avowed yes. Marxist, you see Christianity really is the root of a lot of this oppression. And young Christians don't understand that because they're they're buying into the low level, you know, the low level Marxism, right? Like social justice and helping out the poor and standing for the oppressed. And what does that mean? Well, the racial injustice. We we have to stand up for black people. And what I always, you know, what I always challenge people on, Pastor Sam, is, you know, can you be can you be a black Christian and be oppressed? I've seen that so many times where black Christians have said, I'm oppressed. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you cannot identify as oppressed if you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, you're a new creation, right? You're a co-heir with Christ, okay? You've been set free from bondage, from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of the devil, right? And you've been seated in heavenly places alongside Christ. How can you identify as oppressed, right? That's, That's part of a different worldview. And There are many things like this. And so, you know, Pastor Sam, I I feel exactly the same way as you, where I saw this happening to a lot of Christians over the years. I went to Berkeley. I was part of um, a campus fellowship there where they they started to teach a lot on social justice, became really big on social justice and racial reconciliation and all these code words. I didn't realize that these were really code words but what i what i saw is i saw what happened to the faith of many of these believers it started to become more influenced by this marxist thought it started to become much more liberal right and to me i don't know about you but to me the tipping point is the gay issue because what i see is that a lot of christians will be like hey we need to stand against racial oppression and we need to stand up for our black brothers and sisters and you know i'm like yeah of course right i i ain't nobody want racism over here okay <laughs> But it's very hard when you really buy into that thing. It's really hard to avoid taking that next step, which is, well, what about the gay community? Because aren't they oppressed yeah. in the same ways? Right? Aren't they oppressed by the, the by essentially the 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 fundamentalists? I'm using air quotes here. The fundamentalist pastors who are saying. You know who are denying their existence and saying that you know that being gay is a choice and they can just choose not to be gay and they're in sin and they deserve to die and all this kind of stuff. It's very difficult. And what I see is that many Christians who start with hey we need to stand up for the black community over time the more if they'll get if they get deep into that they're going to migrate into we need to stand up for the gay community, and yes. that often becomes the real turning point for a lot of Christians. And um, Pastor Tom, I've seen, even seen a lot of pastors, right? A lot of pastors have really been brought into major confusion um, because of this. And I've seen a number of once conservative pastors um, now really question historic doctrine on homosexuality and really start to, they, you know, it always starts with downplaying it. We're just not going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about it, but on the inside, they're being influenced more and more because they see the gay community as an oppressed people group. And they start to they start to really question what the scriptures say about a lot of this stuff. And I, I've seen a number of pastors um, kind of make that jump to the other side there on that issue. And that, to me, once a pastor starts to compromise on the issue of homosexuality, that, to me, is the, the clear line in the sand. I don't know. What do you think? I think
1: so too. And usually, where this goes is, you know, when people begin to try to redeem the Bible for uh, to to have sort of like a progressive redemption of the Bible, right? And then a progressive redemption of Jesus, and 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 over time, their whole like biblical teach when they teach from the Scripture, it's just forcing this kind of. Uh, the Bible through this uh, hole that doesn't fit, and they just force it through anyway. Yeah, and um, they're basically reading kind of Marx neo Marxist understanding and lens over over the Bible and making it fit. Right. And um, more honest people will abandon that journey and become Marxist and agnostic and uh, abandon the faith. And um, and so, but there is this movement going on, trying a progressive redemption of Christianity and church, and um. Which is different from, I think, the liberals. I mean, the liberals, what, what they were doing was questioning the, the historical, you know, veracity of the Bible. And they're questioning it from an academic standpoint and secular mm-hmm. standpoint. And the progressives are a different breed. Right. They see the Bible as evil, the source of evil, the or- originators of this kind of ideology. Right. I think our, you know, brothers and sisters and pastors that are going along this journey, it's it's this is I, you know i think it's an understatement to say it's a slippery slope and i think the entry point is what you're talking about my gripe with the united methodist church for years was that we should have split uh when the bible was being screwed with yeah and um and the bible was being read in a way that's you know more academic and secular than it was a secular like a secular apologist than you know than it is to teach and proclaim the word of god Right. And that's where this kind of split should have happened, but they wanted to like stay together, and they kept tolerating this thing, and they kept going down the line. You know, Jesus is a rabbi and a good teacher, but he's not God, and like they kept going, yeah. and uh, because they wanted to secularize the Bible and acknowledge its historic and you know moral teaching and Western you know foundations, and and they wanted to keep doing this, and and you know people that are spiritual. They were just like, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, let's have, you know, we don't want, we don't want to divide, and and it kept going. And then the progressives slowly, I think, like maybe, like, I can't remember when this happened in the United Methodist Church, but in my conference, I I remember a specific shift yeah. from liberal liberals being activated into progressives, yeah, and then it got militant. Yeah. They were trying, they were like, they were screwing over people's ordination, and they're doing all kinds of nonsense, yeah. and um became very politically activated and um and motivated and for me i think the the battle should have been won on the script like should have been fought on the scriptures but now they are hiding behind the victimization the their own kind of victimization narrative of whole people groups um to get their agenda across because how can you argue with the victimization of somebody right right but like you were saying this is the this is the thing though with young people and our media is that um, they screw with statistics, right? Mm -hmm. And they pad these kinds of ideas with statistics that sounds like there's a horde of heterosexuals going around killing homosexuals and look and hunting for them. Uh, It sounds like, you know, that, you know, men are just out to kill women and take advantage of them because of the way and they propose that and then they they screw around with the statistics mm-hmm. right? right it's like saying like almost like you know 100% like high percentage of cancer patients died of cancer right and it's like well that's what happens you know if you yeah. have cancer you might die yeah. you know so like but like for the like one of the men, the men want, the male statistics is that like 90 something percent of all rape victims are raped by men But then it's made to sound like 90 percent of all men are raping people. Sure. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what that's what the sidestep in. That's a huge kind of like, you know, if you're looking at the male population, it's going to be a small percentage of those of the male population that's actually criminally have done that. But they make it sound like so we all need to go through like, you know, how to not oppress women class. Right. And uh, I think Dave Chappelle did a good job of this one. Or I I can't remember which comedian, but I think it was Bill Burr maybe. And he was like, do you think a man is going to go by and see a sign that says, you know, about not beating your wife? And the the only guy that's going to go to the class is the the one that's not beating their wife already. Yeah. (laughs) But the one beating their wives are not going to look at that and say, Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning something. I'm gonna go to that class. You know, for sure. And so it's the the logic of this. It's just insane. And yeah. uh, but it but it's in school. Yep. It's at Berkeley. Yep. You know, it's at UCLA. It's at yeah. all the major universities. This is way of thinking. Yeah. But so there is somewhat of a propaganda war, information war going on.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. To
1: make people to deceive people, to actively deceive people into this way of thinking. There isn't there is a financial and a uh, push and political push to take advantage of this. Yeah. And so this wouldn't have gone as big if there wasn't people behind it mm-hmm. and that are going to profit and gain things from, from, from doing this. And, um, and so there's that element of it as well. And, but I do think that it is coming in the inroads of empathy. Yeah. And, um, in Christianity, empathy is so important, but now we're having to see like, okay, empathy needs to be uh, bridled with something, mm-hmm. and I think that's the question that pastors need to answer, and don't not to think, you know, blindly like empathy is always correct, right? Empathy is always going to be the thing that you always need to give, and right. you know, always believes everyone's subjective experience and truth and. I mean, we're delusional people. And so empathy needs to be bridled with truth. Yes. And facts.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I know pastors that have been fired now over uh, feelings and impressions and and vibes and not any kind of objective truth or facts. Right. And parameters not based on biblical principles, but based on Marxist ideologies. Like... Pastors have been fired from senior pastor positions from their board. And, you know, something similar might, I think you were mentioning happened to you, but, but this whole thing of, uh, you know, automatic villainization of power is also a mistake because. uh, And so anyone's everyone that anyone that has power is guilty now already without having done anything Like you are in a guilty sentence right to prove your innocence always and i've heard of ministers losing their senior pastor they've been removed from their church over hypothetical things that that are not proven i'm just like this is insane yeah and um it's it's just a crazy kind of thing going on right now
0: yeah well what we've done is we've elevated this idea that you know if you say things that offend me you're clearly in the wrong you know and that's just simply not true right like if if we as Christians judge by that metric, then Jesus you know sinned a lot because he offended a lot of people, so did Paul right all those guys they offended lots of people because the truth is offensive right that's 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 pretty clear in in, in the Bible the gospel right is offensive right and um it, because it calls you a sinner <laughs> right the gospel calls you a sinner and calls for you to repent and uh, of course it's going to be offensive, but what's happened in our culture is, you know, once you once you eject an ultimate standard of right and wrong, right, once you say there is no God, there's no ultimate standard of right and wrong, all, you know, moral, um, you know, determinations are social constructs, right? We We as people determine what's right or wrong. Well, then it's entirely subjective, right? Once there's no ultimate right or wrong, then... It's who, well, you know, what's happened in our culture is whoever's the most offended looks like they've been wronged, and our culture has bought into this idea, and it's so um clearly, you know, it's so clearly wrong-headed, because, you know, as pastors, I've done, you know, a lot of inner healing ministry to people, and you know what you, you never do? You never affirm somebody in their victimization in the sense that you say, yes, it was all the other person's fault, and, you know, when, you, when you're doing reconciliation with people, it's all the other person's fault. Of course you don't do that, right? When you're talking with somebody who's been hurt, you understand that their their perspective of the other person who hurt them is skewed. And that's true for all of us, right? When we're still hurt, we can't see the other person clearly, okay? When we get hurt, the the negatives, the weaknesses of the person who hurt us, are magnified from our perspective, and we find it very hard to see their strengths, right? Just if there's someone you're offended with, right, and you have a friend that comes up and says, oh, isn't this person so great? Like, wow, you know, uh, does that, of course, it makes you you mad. And this idea that we're going to empower the most easily offended people and they're going to speak with the greatest moral authority, okay? What this is, this is a spirit of control, right? In the charismatic church, we call it a spirit of Jezebel, right? Where we allow the the most easily offended people to have positions of moral authority and positions where they actually have influence. It's complete and utter foolishness, right? And so, you know, I, I've i got, you know, a little cancel mob that comes after me fairly often for stuff. And the thing is, I like, why why would I care what any of those people think? Because my goal as a believer is to, is to love, is to learn how to love, which means I have to, I have, I'm striving to become an unoffendable person. That's my goal, right? That, nobody would be able to say anything to me that would offend me because I would be able to understand them and love them and forgive them even if they said the most horrible, obscene thing to me that my heart would stay unoffendable. That's maturity, right? Maturity is having that maturity where you're not easily offended by things. And yet what's happened in our culture is those who are the the, the most offended right are the ones that people in positions of authority are listening to that is utter you know that should automatically disqualify somebody from holding authority if they're listening to all the offended people and they're making judgments based on that offense right it's one thing to li- hear those people out of course hear those people out but scripture talks about you know um, the first person to speak seems right until he's cross-examined right until you hear the other side of the story you have to be willing to hear both sides of the story and be able to judge in an impartial manner because you understand that just because somebody's hurt doesn't make them right. And this is a huge problem in our culture, but to me, Pastor Sam, the the scary part is how deep this has infiltrated the church. And yeah. really what I see is, I, I feel like this has been a great exposing for the church for the past couple of years. We have seen... Some of the most respected leaders in the body of Christ be completely exposed these past couple years, right? I'm talking about like Ravi Zacharias. I'm talking about like yeah. Bill Hybels. I'm talking about like um, the Hillsong guy, Carl Lentz. Right? These are the these are the the leaders that are invited to speak at all the big conferences, right? They're the ones expected to train all the little pastors and all this kind of stuff, and they've been exposed over this past year and a half. And not only that, but so many churches have been exposed, like the elders have been exposed by this stuff. And really what's happening is I just feel, it just feels to me like this is a a great judgment on the church, a great discipline on the church. I don't know about you, but I saw so many people stop going to church, period, in 2020. They just didn't go to church at all. And the thing is, you know, like you could not go to church but because you have a serious walk with God, you're spending time with them, and then you're taking it upon yourself to seek out fellowship and stuff like that. I'm not saying that the weekly church service is the only secret to health, but I'm saying that I saw a lot of people who stopped going to church and then spiritually died. And they were willing to sacrifice their spiritual life because they said it's too dangerous to go to church. And that, to me, is such an exposing of the immaturity that was in the body because how can you sacrifice your spiritual life for the sake of a potential physical threat and let's be honest it's not that big of a physical threat right like we're not you know we're not talking about the smallpox pandemic you know in the 1800s or something like that this is something that has like a 99% survival rate especially if you're you know a young person or something like this and what you saw is that all these people were completely willing to give up going to church because they were being told that it's actually better for you, it's better for society, it's better that you die spiritually. And I'll be honest, Pastor, it was it was it was hard for me to see. Because these are people that I knew that this was happening to. And I was trying to encourage people: like, hey, you do what you have to do to keep yourself spiritually alive. That's the last. Thing that you sacrifice, right? You have to be willing to face hardship and dangers, you know, even if COVID had a, you know, 50%, um, you know, lethality or mortality rate or something like that. Well, then you have to figure out how to keep yourself spiritually alive. And I'm gonna say, look, I, I did this. I did so many online prayer meetings in 2020. And I'll tell you, I hate online prayer meetings, okay? Online prayer meetings are the worst, but... If that's all I feel like I can do, then sign me up. I'm going to be doing online prayer meetings because I, what yeah. I cannot do is sacrifice my relationship with God or my spirituality, right? But I, I feel like it's just been a, a wide exposing of the church for these past couple of years. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it's a great pruning, right, And um, uh, of the church and ex- an exposure of our spiritual state. And so... You have to have this uh, and an exposure of what um, the failure of seminaries to teach pastors how to discern, uh, you know, what historically <laughs> has oppressed us yeah. around the world. Yeah, in the Soviet Union and communist China. Those that are in power will always weaponize Marxism for their own devices. And so when I saw this transpiring 2020, like I felt like I had sufficiently equipped our church to, to face all of this. And, um, and immediately, right. We're in the pandemic and there, and I I started to, the lockdowns didn't make any sense to me. And, uh, and they kept, kept, you know, the narrative kept changing. Yeah. And, uh, and then we see our cities burning and, 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 you know, they're demanding things for us and for the church to comply. And Christians or pastors are telling other churches, you know, they're they're playing the prophet and telling us to do certain things. And so I think that there's been a great pruning in the church. Uh, I think uh, for a little while, every, you know, people like you and me, we're we kind of been speaking out, uh, and other pastors have been flying on the radar screen for a little bit, but I feel like people are coming out now and trying to they've been forced to look at this and to force to realize okay where do we stand in all of this as a church. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing more and more like public st- you know church statements about covid uh response in relation and also about social justice and people would think what the heck do those two things have to be yeah what do they have to do with each other? Yeah. And um but they have a lot to do with each other right now because it's a it's a it's our it's our government's trying to uh, acquire power for themselves and uh, not just, and it's not just here, it's all over the world, right. In Australia, it's insane. Just in front uh, North of us in Canada. And so the church needs to kind of position itself correctly right now. Yeah. And, um, and I feel like, yeah, that's what's going on. Like it's a, it's a great pruning and exposure and um, it exposed us, you know, we had a little mini mini chip of the church we confronted uh, some really horrible spiritual things at the, at the beginning of all this. And um, we had a falling out in our community uh, of some leaders. And so, but I welcome all that. At least things are clear. And I want it to be clear, you know? Can you tell us like, a little
0: bit about that? Like, what, what did that look like, right? And what precipitated that, you know, falling out of those leaders?
1: You know, it was a number of things. It was like some people didn't like that we were doing house churches. They wanted to, they, they they felt weird about that. And there are various reasons. Some people just didn't like me, and but then they felt connected to me. And so this was their way of jetting out of the community, this transition point. I think it was for a lot of people, a lot of people when the church went on Zoom. Like, they were like, okay, I'm going to check out other churches now. This is a great opportunity to kind of phase out, text the pastor, peace out. I'm going to go to another church sure. and not have some, not have awkwardness. So there are definitely things like that. But there was a group of people that felt that I betrayed them because I care about justice. But I do not care for Black Lives Matter. That organization is Marxist and is funded by a evil, evil uh, man. Yeah and uh antifa in concert with them and um and i know about that and you know uh from the from uh, a black pastor and um that i consult with about stuff like this and he told me like if you support that you don't care about black people
0: right
1: and i was you know and he he kind of like told me things and shared with me things it's like how does it make sense that organization that whatever they put their hands on things get worse for us like how does that make any sense and so, and it's true. Now we can see that, right? Uh, you know, while people are enriching themselves, leaders are enriching themselves uh, with property and real estate and whatever, right. the, defund, the, the goal of this recent, you know, move of Black Lives Matter was defund the police. That was their end game, right? Mm-hmm. And wherever that has happened, crime rates are soaring, right? And, you know, uh, more death is happening. More jobs are lost. Like this is like businesses are closing, mm-hmm. and so you know wherever this ideology goes, it does the opposite of what they're screaming. Right. Wherever they say they want justice, the opposite happens. And so something's wrong with the formulation of the problem. One thing that you have is when you have an issue with your church or any organization or whatever, if you don't identify the problem correctly, you're gonna you're gonna introduce a solution that might kill and and counter you know be counterproductive right and so the formulation of the problem is a failure and also the solution to this false formulation is an abject failure it does the opposite of what they're trying to do Mm -hmm. and what i'm telling these people is you are the problem you're trying to fix and um and so this is the that was the the delineating point for me i was like hey i still care about what's going on in the black community but this is the way f- that it's gonna get fixed, yeah. and but that is not popular, right? Mm-hmm. Like a good deed never goes unpunished, right? So anything you're really gonna do in the world that's good and gonna help people, it's always gonna be hated by people, right? During that time, right. and um, I was like, if you really wanna help Black people, this is this is the way it gets helped. Yeah, read some Thomas Soul uh Listen to Larry Elder. You, you guys gotta listen to more than just what the people profiting off of these movements. Right. Man, I got pushback, man, and people were like defending Jesse Jackson and uh, Al Sharpton to me. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe you guys. And um, so during that time, people were like, past Sam has changed. He doesn't care about justice. He has a Christianity that's just about, you know, uh that's just about this myopic Mm -hmm. it doesn't integrate social issues and um and so they they left you know they left Mm -hmm. the ministry um some of them became fully progressive they went that direction i don't think they understand where that road leads i try to tell people and i did my best but there was definitely you know and i i still pray for them that the Lord opened their eyes, they'll do their due diligence and really study and be a worker approved. Yeah. Um, but but they can't serve in my ministry. Like, yeah. So I made a hardline stance. I had prepared my church for like four years about the progressives. Uh last year's, you know, book reading. Two years ago, our book reading was Calling of the American Mind by Jonathan Mm Haidt to look at it, not just from a Christian point of view, a psychological point of view, a historical point of view. I try to teach our congregation from multiple standpoints about how this is not the way we're going to go psychologically unhealthy. And so we did that. Then I dropped the hammer in uh, the beginning of 2020. Any leader that teaches this will be removed from the ministry anyone that tolerates it will be removed from leadership in our church that cuz this is a violation of essential christian doctrine and um and i had you know spent 3 4 years proving that man and after that and it, you know it was in concert with all the social stuff happening all across the country mm-hmm. and i was like this is the time i, I don't want to do this later mm-hmm. Cause this is going to come back to bite us. Like it came to bite, you know, progressive liberal professors in universities. The church is next. Yeah. We're going to go through this baptism mm-hmm. and, and either we're, we're going to sink or swim. And these professors that are on, they considered themselves progressive liberals in progressive liberal universities did not, they were fired, you know, universities were just exploding with nonsense. And so I was like, this is coming to the church. This is coming. And, uh, and I was telling my people at that time, <laughs> this is coming, guys. Everybody, this is coming. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, you're crazy. Yeah. It's like, I'm telling you guys, you guys need to study this right now. Stop being lazy about it. It's like, <laughs> we just want to do church, past time. Why, 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 yeah. why are you so crazy? Yeah. It's like, he's ranting again. Yeah. And because um, I was ranting a lot. I was like, you guys need to know that this is coming on the world. Yeah. It's going to be everywhere it's going to be in our streets it's going to be this is this is it and um and then in, and so people when it came in uh, 20 at the end of 2019 2020 when things began to break out i made the line in the sand then and then i had a little i had a fallout of people mm-hmm. that felt that i had abandoned the message of justice in the bible and they cut ties with me they didn't want to have conversations with me um, I heard from people that that you know uh you know that they blame me for it why wasn't I reaching out to them and but you know honestly, the last conversation that we i ever that I had with these people was initiated by me sure, and so i don't know what they're talking about, but you know they 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 had to formulate a way you know where it's my fault and they're they were victimized by me and so by and deceived right. So, I'm still, for, I don't understand. I'm still for justice. Yeah. And, uh, and I understand that we have to be politically involved as Christians. It's not the final solution, but it is our witness, socially engaged, a Christianity that's integral to all aspects of life. But in, in that in integration, the people that left didn't like what I was saying about facts and uh, proven, you know, <laughs> these, these things work. Mm-hmm. And here here are books. And once I posted Thomas Sowell, they're like, who's that? And I'm like, this book is too thick. You know, sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I
0: it's hard. You know. I mean, look, I've, I've been there, you know, several times in my life where as a pastor, you're like, hey, this is important. You know, this is really important. Um, and, you know, look, just being real is is like, that's one of the hardest things to do is to really try and stand on something that um is not clear, right? And yeah, I it sounds to me like past time you were pretty ahead of the curve cuz you were already teaching about this stuff before um you know 2020 hit and that's 2020 seems like when it all is really when it kind of broke out, right? That's like the pandemic, that's like the George Floyd stuff. That's kind of when it went crazy. So you were already teaching on a lot of this stuff before that point
1: yeah it's because of my i could thank my uh insane former denomination because of that yeah <laughs> and uh, i don't think people understood what was going on when uh the episcopal paleon community presbyterian they were all kind of like people are saying oh we're for you know supporting the gay community and i was like this is not what this is about like they're just that's just the that's just the that's just the front mm-hmm. what's going on is you know Marx, <laughs> neo Marxism. Yeah. And I was like, why aren't people, why don't people know about this? This is how most of the world, you know, this is how China was taken over. And you're right. They changed the formulation of material wealth to social identities, which is really smart, you know, which is really great. Like I talk to this guy all the time, like, dude, they did a good job taking over, you know, like,
0: yeah, it's <laughs> genius. Schools. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, they did a good job. It took 40 40 years, you know, uh, you know, of work. I mean, I think it was 40 something years by the Soviet Union when they dissolved, China, you know, has been working on America since the 90s, funding, you know, just donating to yeah. things that I knew would destabilize the country. Yeah. And um and they did it. <laughs> yeah. With the help of people here. Yeah. And um but for me it what shocked me was pastors and Christians because I remember growing up, think talking about missionary work in the Soviet Union and former Soviet Union, and you know China and different things, and you know North, you know doing and being involved with in North Korea, right? And learning about communism, learning about the weaponization of Marxism and neo-Marxism to destabilize countries, and so I thought all these pastors would be like, yeah, like this is. There's something, there's something <laughs> funny going on. Yeah. And I, it was just falling on deaf ears. They're just looking at me like, it's like, what's wrong with you? And so this was a long time ago. I mean, I got let go from the United Methodist Church probably close to like eight years ago. And, uh, and I saw what was happening in the denomination and the conservatives just wanted to lay low. Yeah. And I was like, I want to make noise. And It's like, that's not a Christian thing to do. Right. And I'm like, no, yeah, it is. Like it's a Christian thing to make a lot of noise. Yes. And to get in trouble. Yes. (laughs) And um, but people were like, Yeah, are we are we Protestants? Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, don't
0: we have some kind of heritage about this?
1: (laughs) They're like, if you want to get ordained, you better not, right? So I was like, screw it. Yeah. Screw that. Yeah. I'm like I was licensed, but not ordained. Yeah. And um, and I got let go over some email. I don't want to talk about that right now, but fair enough. That's when I was like, okay, I don't know if people understand this.
0: Got it. Yeah. And
1: then I started hearing about like the Jordan Peterson phenomenon Mm -hmm. and um Jonathan Hyde and some of the things that are happening to universities. And I've talked about universities for years. Like it's a scam. Universities are a scam. Um, most seminaries are a scam. And um it's a scam when you pay some people pay up to $100,000 for a seminary degree. It doesn't make any sense that you come out and fail at the job. And um and you're not going to even if you do well, you're not going to be making like you know sure. like yeah. you're not you're not supposed to be making like mega church money. Like that's very rare quality group of people. Yep. And so like how does this work? And then the people that were graduating like a large percentage of them were not even going to be pastors or, you know, be ministering in churches at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, scam, <laughs> right? Immediately, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, whatever it is, we need to figure out why it's a scam, Yeah. but it's obviously a scam. And then this is like true of a lot of things in university and a wide range of degrees. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, this is a scam, guys. Like work for a few years and and get a degree that you feel like you want to spend your own money on mm-hmm. if it helps you. Yeah. And, um and, you know, people, pa- you know, if you say that in a Korean church, parents are going to hate your guts. Yeah. And so, but I, <laughs> I told that to my guys like all the time and they went to school. Some of them, you know, went to school and went to university. Some of them went the route of business and some of them, you know, did different things, but it's a scam, bro. And like, and I'm glad this is happening because uh, I think pastors are like having, I've been being forced to look at this. Yeah. And they're going to have to choose what to do. Yep. And right now, the vaccine passports, the fact that there isn't critical thinking about these things is evidence of the fact that people are operating by fear. And also, they, uh, they're not thinking critically yeah. about any of this. Yeah. And I just had COVID, right? I had COVID for a month. And um, <laughs> And it was bad. I got pneumonia in the middle of it because of food poisoning. Mm -hmm. So I COVID, I was recovering. I got food poisoning. I got pneumonia. Oh my goodness. And I ended up in the ER. Yeah. And I just want people to understand, like most people are going to recover just fine with the therapeutics, which I was taking. And, um, but that, even though that happened to me, the nurse in the hospital said to me, like, she saw me struggling with my pneumonia as I'm going to the bathroom. I'm like huffing and puffing. I come back. Get down on the bed, yeah, and I'm like breathing hard, and the nurse felt so bad for me, she goes, she goes, I hope that after all of this, when you get out, you'll get the vaccines mm-hmm. and um and I told that nurse, I was like, uh, thank you for caring about me. I'm all out of breath, right? yeah, but I'd rather die than, COVID <laughs> than get that vaccine, yeah, and I just want people to understand if you got the vaccine because of the research that you did and you felt like it was okay, I respect that. Right. Um, But I was my, for my family, I don't want to put this experimental vaccine in them after 10 months of human study. Like, I don't know what the long-term effects are. The short-term effects you could die and get maimed for life. And there's tens of thousands of people that that has happened to uh, if not more. But it's pretty rare if you think about all the millions of people that got vaccinated by this thing. We don't know what the long-term effects are. So just that alone is going to make me feel like I'd rather get COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, and I still feel that way. But that's not the reason why I have this hard stance on not getting the vaccine. When they, told, when they started mandating this thing and coercing people, right. that's when I said I'd rather die from COVID than to take this thing. Because the government is weaponizing it. Yes. in order to exert power that yes. they can inject something into my body and I could lose my job. if I don't get it. Yeah. And it's not, it's still an experimental stage. That is insane. Yes. I don't like how they've been uh, um, creating this, uh, this moralization of disease that if you didn't, you know, lock down, you are unrighteous. If you do lock down, you are righteous. If you are at a certain political uh, meeting, screaming and uh, and gyrating on cars and dancing and screaming, COVID doesn't spread. If you're at a beach worshiping Jesus, COVID is super spreading like all this righteousness signaling, right? Virtue signaling and the government imbuing righteousness arbitrarily based on what is advantageous to them is dangerous. If they were just doing that and people were just mad at each other, that would be bad enough. But now they're saying that they are now actively saying you have to get something into your body or else you are unrighteous. That is a horrible, horrible precedence. We should be fighting this as Americans, right? every single one of us. Yes. And the, whether you're vaccinated or not, that is government does not decide morality. Government is a. Uh, One who holds up morality, morality is from God and for morality to be implied here, there needs to be act of will. And they're trying to in the narrative that it is by will that these people died. But the science just doesn't hold up. COVID is spreading. There's there's no way to stop it. Everyone is going to get COVID at some time in their life. They're just hoping that they'll have enough, you know, tools to deal with it. But this idea, this implied narrative that COVID can be stopped if you lock down. But we look at the statistics and the graphs, it spreads anyway. The the goal was never to stop the spread. The goal was to slow it. Mm -hmm. But infection rates are going to be the same everywhere, eventually in the long run. Masks, if you wear the mask, it won't spread. It will stop the spread. I'm like, are we insane? How does this mask know how to filter out flu and not COVID? Like, These must be high tech masks. And so but then the infection rates were the same in countries and states that didn't have hard mask mandates and the ones that did same same, like in the long run. And now the vaccination rates like in Israel, the highest vaccinated country in the world, one of the highest and Singapore, they have the highest infection rates in the world. The vaccine doesn't stop the spread of the disease. It helps mitigate symptoms. It's a leaky virus. That's a leaky vaccine. That's what they said from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But the narrative is being portrayed a different way and creating this class of unrighteous people and righteous people through the arbitrary kind of, because it's advantageous to them, to those in power and those making money from this. And they're arbitrarily creating this sense of, Imbuing moral righteousness and unrighteousness based on what's advantageous for those in power. This is dangerous. Yeah. It is so dangerous. And um wherever this appears, whenever this appears, Christians need to fight it. Mm-hmm. And um uh, why do we? Why do we idolize Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Like I feel like all these pastors read and talked about, told us to read his books, and I don't understand what's going on, man. Yeah. And um. I feel like I you know I'm I, people call me and they message me and t- to check up on my mental health. They think I'm crazy. like I'm like i'm I'm thinking just fine. do you want do you want my reasoning? I've been writing about this now for like a whole year now.
0: yeah,
1: and I've double checked, rechecked, triple checked my reasoning for this. And I don't see how else you can think about this, yeah. and so like that's 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 what's crazy. The Marxism is crazy. But the weaponization of Marxism and yes. and the weaponization of COVID response, yes, mixing together, yeah, is uh, I mean, is I'll I'll just religious. say this:
0: I think we're in like the eleventh hour here in America, and what I mean by that is. You know, our country was founded on the ideal, the value of liberty. Like, this is the founding value of America. And the whole idea of liberty is that our rights are not given to us by the government. They're given to us by God. And the government does not have the right to impede on any of our God-given rights. That is the founding value. That is the bedrock of our entire you know, governmental structure. That's it's the bedrock of our way of life as Americans. And the thing is, I'm not trying to make this into an America America thing. I'm I'm saying that those values were birthed out of the first Great Awakening. This was a God thing. This was a God movement that led to a war, a revolutionary war. The the purpose of the revolutionary war is it's always taught as a tax revolt now, right? It's like They hated being taxed, and they just wanted more money. And, you know, and congratulations, that is a Marxist reading of the American Revolution. And that is basically... I want to keep my money. Yeah. And and that's basically how it's taught. But, you know, no, the truth is the American Revolution was birthed out of the First Great Awakening. The belief, right, that our rights are given to us by God, and the government shall not infringe upon our rights. And this idea... Birth the American Revolution, and over the next century birth constitutional revolutions all over the world. It brought unprecedented freedom to the entire yes. earth. It was a god move and the The tragedy here is that in America we we 've now seeded so much of our education system that our young people don 't understand any connection to the historic revivals, don't understand any connection to this idea of liberty or why it's important. But the founders warned about what we are going through in our generation, which is this encroachment of tyranny. And that's because, look, we are the world's strongest power. There is no safe place, right? If America falls to this Marxist thing, there is no safe place. We're talking about, you know, there's
1: nowhere to run to.
0: There's nowhere to go, and and it can become extremely problematic for the entire earth. And I just say this, look, we are in this place where Americans, and I'm going to speak specifically to the church right now, the church needs to recognize it must fight. It must fight right now. It must fight for the founding values, the God-given values of liberty, again, because it's a Christian ideal. It's a Christian ideal. And... We're in the do-or-die moment right now because what's happening is these Marxist-controlled um, industries have been pressuring, 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 and they're getting their talons now strongly in the government, strongly in portions of the church, and the pressure is turning on like crazy. And like you said, you know, last year in 2020, what I saw is I saw so many Christians post black squares on their social media page. And I saw so many of them say Black Lives Matter. And the thing is, you know, I just had somebody today tell me, because they felt bad if they didn't, right? If they didn't, they felt like people were going to think they were racist and all this kind of stuff. But they didn't realize how they were actually supporting a a Marxist organization. And it's it's not, you know, they're not hiding the ball here. They're openly Marxist, right? BLM is an openly Marxist organization, they were supporting a marxist organization because of the pressure that they were able to exert socially and now we're in a place where these vaccine mandates are coming from the government the government knows right now it doesn't have the power to be able to push a full on we're going to throw you in jail if you don't get this vaccine mandate but what they're doing is they're exerting as much pressure as they can and right now that's happening to the companies so now companies are being pressured to mandate these vaccines or otherwise fire those who will not get it and this is now starting to touch many people who were not touched in the past in the last purge right in the last purge it was like just outspoken people like you and me right but in the purge that's coming it's going to start to hit a lot of quiet americans who have conservative values still still and this is going to continue to roll unless we wake up and really start to fight this thing and look i'm so look when i look at at trump trump was the beginning of a serious resistance movement He was the, hey, we're not voting for Jeb Bush because we know Jeb Bush won't fight against this thing, right? We're going to vote for Donald Trump, not because, you know, the narrative is always, oh yeah, because we believe him. We believe he's the best Christian in the world. What about your crock? Okay, we all know Donald Trump is not the best Christian in the world, but what we know is that he was a fighter and that he would actually fight against this stuff, and that's exactly what he did, and when he started to fight against it, you saw the entire apparatus, right all of the 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 hidden marxist stuff started to rise up in the government in the newspapers everywhere and it started to attack it him itself. yes it exposed all of that stuff and that's why this is it's do or die time right it's do or die time for the church this is the time we can stand up and we can fight for rights. And what that means in this context is you, you're you going to be persecuted in minor ways. People are going to call you a racist. They're going to call you a bigot. You might get fired from certain jobs. Yes, that might happen. But guess what? You can get other jobs elsewhere right now. Okay? Yes. That's where we're at. You can move. All right? You don't have to stay in California, in New York, and all these places. And yes, it, a lot of people are moving out for precisely this reason. Right? because you've got to fight now while you can because if we're silent for another 10 years if if the church in particular refuses to stand up and fight over the next 10 years what you're going to see is you're going to see this marxist title wave take over the rest of this thing okay and that's why i just feel like it is essential for the church to get up start to fight yeah you know in the, in the book of Revelation, it talks about taking the mark of the beast. And the ones that refuse to take the mark will not be able to buy or sell. And my challenge to believers right now is, if you can't stand up and stand for historic Orthodox Christian doctrine right now because you're afraid that people will call you racist and you know, homophobe and all this kind of stuff, if you can't do that now, how are you going to stand you know, in the last days, in the end times, how are you going to stand against an antichrist kingdom? And look, I'm not one of the people saying it, it, you know, we're going to have the final beast is going to come in the next 20 years. It might, right? I don't know. But all I know is there is a type of beast right now. Okay. And if you can't stand up and face a little bit of persecution, you're not going to be able to handle what's to come. And so I'm just challenging everybody. Now is the time to stand up. And what you were referencing earlier about the empathy thing this this has been a major stronghold in the Christian church. This idea that love equals being nice, and we just have to dispel this thing from our churches, okay and to be honest, Pastor Sam, it kind of makes me sick. I hate it when i when I go to a church and everybody is like that really fake kind of nice. do you know what I mean? Hey, brother, how are you doing today? <laughs> you know it's creepy it makes me sick. Like when it, when it's all fake, because you can feel it. You can feel that the culture is fake, right? It's not real love. This is fake love, right? The apostles were not the nicest people out there. In fact, there were there were. It, look, if you read the harshest parts, all right, the New Testament are written by you know the apostles, and you see Jesus. Jesus straight up whipped people, all right? Like. These were not nice men. You would not characterize them as nice men. But somehow, the predominant picture of what it means to be a great Christian is to be the nicest man or the nicest woman out there. And I'm, I'm sorry, this is a deception. This is a deception. It is deception to think that love is nice. Love is not nice, okay? Love is kind, it's generous, and it's forceful at times right? It fights for what's true. It always perseveres, right? It always stands firm. It never gives up. It never fails, right? This is what true love looks like. And let me tell you, it doesn't look like these fake plastic Christians with plastic smiles that are always, you know, chipper about everything. Like you've got to get into the trenches and start to fight for the kingdom of God and fight for the destiny of our nation. And I'm telling this all. I'm telling this to the believers right now because I know many believers are struggling with fear. They're like, man, I, you know, we had this thing happen. Past time, I don't know if you saw this story. There was a girl at Berkeley. She was a student senator. And she um, voted to abstain from a bill that was affirming gay and transgender identity and stuff like that. Her name was Linda, um, Linda Chow, I think. Oh, forgive me. I, I can't remember. I forgot her name. She's, she just abstained from the vote. And when that happened, she was a student at the church I helped plant back in 2006. I called, I called a number of pastors in the area at Berkeley. And I was like, hey, you have got to back this girl publicly. You cannot let this girl, this 20-year-old girl, you know, take national persecution. They were having protests at every student senate meeting, right? Because of her. You cannot let this 20-year-old girl take all of these bullets, you know, when she's just trying to do what's right. We have to be backing her up as a church. And for the most part, almost all the leaders and pastors in the area told me they would not sign anything. Publicly, it said that they believe homosexuality is a sin. They would not put out any kind of public letter like that, right? And one of the leaders got honest with me. He's like, Dennis, look, a lot of us work in the tech industry up here. And if we put our names on some kind of document that says that we believe homosexuality is sinful, a lot of us could lose our jobs. And I was like, yes, but if you're silent, what's going to happen if you're silent in this time of testing? What's going to happen 20 years down the line if the church can't show courage and is going to put the little girl, throw the little girl under the bus so that everyone else can keep their jobs? And here we are. It's 10 years later now. And now, yes, now if you don't sign up for the vaccine, for a lot of people, it's like, well, I'm going to lose my job. And so it doesn't matter if I believe in the vaccine. I just got to do it. And I have to tell you look, I'm not, I don't know about the vaccine. Okay. I'm not a scientist. I've seen a lot of, I've researched, I've done a lot of research. I don't know. I don't trust it. I'm not personally vaccinated. But what I see is the pressure. I see the pressure, right? And the pressure is evil. This idea that if you don't get vaccinated, you are not loving your neighbor. No, sorry. If if the vaccine is that important, you can take the vaccine if you believe in it that much, and you can put your trust in the vaccine. But don't try and tell me that if I don't take the vaccine, right? I can't get a job here or can't do. No, this is this is tyranny. This is a type of tyranny, and it's happening right now and starting to affect a lot more Americans. And look, my answer is good. It's time to wake up. It's time to start sacrificing in real ways. All right. You, Pastor. Sam, I'm impressed because you're talking about like, hey, college is a scam, seminary is a scam. These were things that I was thinking for a long time, but I didn't have I didn't have the courage to sem- and start preaching it until like I don't know a couple years ago or something like that, right? And here you are, you, you know, you've been standing here doing this, but I got to say, look, the time has come where believers need to give up their career aspirations. You have to give it up if it means fighting. For the freedom of our nation, right? You have to give it up if it means standing for historic Christian doctrine. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me and my commands, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And this is something that I think a lot of Christians, they just have no paradigm for this. Because all we keep hearing, you know, in so many churches is how much God loves us. And he's, he's, he's so madly in love with you. He can't stop thinking about you. All he wants to do is be with you. Well, that God said that he's going to be ashamed of you, right? If you are ashamed of his commands. And so I just challenge believers. Now's the time to take these commands seriously. Is homosexuality wrong? Okay, get some conviction on this because you're going to need it. In the next 10, 20 years, you're going to be put to the test on that particular question, right? And many of us have been put to the test already, all right? I got fired from my last job for mentioning that homosexuality is a sin. I didn't even think it would be that that costly at that place, right? But it's like, well, whatever. And that made it really easy for me because I'm like, oh yeah, well, that's not something I regret at all. So if you want to fire me over that, I'm not confused here, all right? But I just got to say this to the believers because it's not just the pastors and it's not just the people that are in public. That was the past season. They paid, they paid the cost of this. But now it's coming for all Americans in this next season. All right, The persecution is coming for everyone. And now is the time where believers really have to determine, am I going to trust in God or am I going to trust in this vision for my life? Right, that is about my career and my grades and all this kind of stuff. Is that what you're putting your trust in? Or are you trusting that God really is who he said he is? And he actually does provide. He actually does guide those who put their trust in him, that he will protect and will bless those who sacrifice for the sake of righteousness. And I I feel like this is the time, you know, and Pastor Sam, you know, I just want to encourage you, as somebody who I know has suffered. And I know all of us who have suffered, this is like minor persecution. We all recognize that, right? This is not us being tortured in a Chinese concentration camp or something like that. This is minor persecution. But I, I feel such great honor and respect for the leaders who have stood up in this past season and when it cost them something on all this, right? Because the, the sad thing, Pastor Sam, is that I, I can't help feeling that the Lord keeps using non-believers because there aren't enough believers. Yes. Right? He keeps using, like, Donald Trump and Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, these people who are not traditional believers, right? They're not evangelical Christians, and he's using them, and I can't help shaking the feelings because he cannot find evangelical leaders that have this kind of ability to speak into these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jordan Peterson is really—his message— in terms of helping people is repentance. That's basically yeah. what he's teaching. Biblical repentance, taking responsibility for your life. Stop blaming other people. Like this is Christianity repentance 101. And like he's become world famous and has helped save lives because of this. And, you know, and and he's also, you know, questionably, you know, he, he, he wouldn't be a self-professing, christian by creed you know of any creed that we know and things like that but he has made more people that i have been evangelizing to more friendly to jesus and the gospel than than you know anybody that i've been seeing in church um and and going along you know trying to be relevant to the world and peterson's is canadian and he he, you know he's just self-reflective and um, and people are just so drawn to him because of his genuineness and uh his vulnerability. And then God has raised up all these secular, you know, people. And you know, where are all the believers? And um one of the things that I think people need to realize that fear is not a virtue, and um it's also not uh something that to, you know, appeasement is not real love, and um but one of the, the the evidence of the presence of the holy spirit is strength and courage that's one of the first descriptions in in the bible in the, in Joshua yeah. you know be bold and be courageous because i'm with you the strength and the courage that comes because of the spirit in standing for what's right and um you know this is something that the church really needs to recover because We need to be strong and courageous at this time to delineate truth in our culture and um, biblical truth. And, you know, it is going to it is there is going to be a pushback, but nowhere near what's going on. And even just Australia and Canada, you know, there's that pastor in Canada might go to. I think he's going to jail for five years for holding services. And um, that's not happening here yet. And I don't know if it's going to happen. But people have to realize two things are at stake. Number one, our country—we need to fight this right now, and you can't wait till TNM and Square to fight it. You fight it when it's still just a, a information battle. Right now, people need to talk. People need to, you know, respond with resistance. You know, pilots are doing it, doctors are doing it, nurses are doing it. I'm very excited about what I'm seeing in the country right now. There is resistance going on. Even BLM is resisting vaccine mandates come on (laughs) let's go right let's let's uh you know let's take what we can get yeah and you know historically black people have been the most affected by you know medical tyranny it didn't appear i don't understand this people are like how could i just you know i feel like why would they do something like that i'm like you know why would they not historically it's more that they would than they wouldn't and before, you know, it's whoever they see as lower class, you know, the classism is just formulated differently within Marxism and, you know, racism. And before it was black people, but now they've enlarged their territory of categorizing what is low class. And um, and, you know, they've made it, everybody in the citizenry, if you could demonize white people, you basically have a wide net that you could arbitrarily say at any time those people deserve to be you know, uh, oppressed yeah. by the, the by 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 us now. Yeah. Like if you're Asian in 2020, you're a white adjacent and you're a racist. And um, and then in 2020, you are the oppressed class. I'm so confused what I am now under their formulation. I don't know what to think. So I just go around thinking, you know, I'm just I don't care anymore. I'm just going to I'm just going to live my life as a Christian and um, it's just confusing. They can't even stay consistent within a year. And I don't know how people are following this without having a mental breakdown, which majority of the people that think this way do have mental breakdowns because it's very hard to have these kind of dissonant thoughts existing in your mind constantly and having empathy for all of it. And you're going to have some kind of mental breakdown. And statistically, progressive liberal thinking people have way more therapy than you know conservative thinking people. And so this is a issue right now. And the church needs to really recover what it means to be courageous. Yeah. And uh, going along with trying to reach the world by relevance is not courageous at all. You know, the church is not supposed to reach the world with relevance. The church is supposed to reach the world with supernatural power. It's good. And it's impossible that it would be impossible if it was by relevance. It It would be impossible to convert anybody by what we're talking about. And but it is by the power of the Spirit of God, and um, that that people are going to wake up, and um, and we need to create a uh, not an air conditioned room to comfort sinners in the community of that is the church. That's not what we should be doing. We should be doing creating such a uh, fiery witness of God within the community that the world will see something they cannot look away from. That's what we need to be doing, and. Um, and so right now, the church needs to stand up before things get worse. So the first thing at stake right now is our country. And um, But the second thing that people need to realize is what you alluded to and you spoke of is that if our country loses this, uh, this idea of liberty and freedom, it goes for the rest of the world. There is no free country left in the world after the United States goes because China will roll over everybody. And Marxism will rule over the world. And people keep telling me, like, I don't think that could ever happen in the United States. And I'm thinking to them, it's happened more than it hasn't. And so we really need to pay attention to how it happens. And why are we listening to the people from those countries that have come here? Why are we listening to Cubans? Why are we listening to Vietnamese people? Why are we listening to North Koreans? Why aren't we listening to people that are from communist China that have immigrated here? They want to escape it and they see the patterns. They see Marxism and the thing that destroyed their country and the ideology destroyed their country. They are being public and vocal about it. We need to listen to them and respect what they're saying and realize it's happening here right now. It's happening. And people are in such disbelief, but I don't know what's going to wake them up. It has to be something of the spirit and the church needs to pray and begin to start talking. They need to start preaching. Absolutely. There's a reason why seminaries have been nerfed. And I don't mean every seminary. I don't want to criticize every seminary because some seminaries are spirit-filled, Bible teaching, preaching, uh, pastor preparing, ministry preparing uh, schools. But there has been a targeted effort in this country to destroy the pulpit of America. And uh, it has been going on now for over 100, almost 100 years now. And they started to infiltrate seminaries. They knew that if they can get to the training center of these pastors, then they can destroy the pulpit as a force of power in in the United States, because the the pulpit was a place where the great awakening came from and they knew that it was a power center in America. And so the people that are enemies of America knew that in order to destabilize this country, they would have to destroy the pulpit and to destroy the pulpit. They had to go to the training centers. So that's why You know, it's it is satanic, but it is also through human institutions that places like Harvard and Yale that were created by revivalists has been turned into Marxist indoctrination centers for ministers, either to be friendly to it or you know to see it as just a benign kind of ideology, and um, and so they can't discern right now that this is happening, and they're preaching it from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether friend, uh, trying to be friendly with it or uh, having uh, become apostate altogether. And um, we need to wake up and uh, pastors that are evangelical Christians trying to, co- hoping that this, they're going to coast through this and things are going to, a new normal is coming. Hey, no new normal is coming. We are in a, we are in a war and um, we're in a spiritual war. We are in a propaganda war. We, and it's global. Yep. And if you don't get up and do something, you're just, we were just people that wanted to get up a uh, purpose high on our vocation. And I've been preaching about, you know, our church get, really gets upset at me for years. But my statement to the church is the Bible teaches that Jesus is your identity. The gospel is your purpose and the church is your mission. Your job in this life is inconsequential. You do whatever your gifting leads you to do. whether you're a prisoner of Christianity in China, shoveling, you know, shoveling crap in the prisons, or you're a widow in Africa, you know, just raising their kids, doing the best they can, your purpose is the same. Mm -hmm. And just because we live here, we become idolatrous of what we do. I want to become an actor for the Lord. I want to become a musician for God. I want to be a worship leader that travels around the world. We have all of these kinds of ambitions. But a lot of it's driven by selfish sense of purpose, yeah, and um selfish ambition. And um, you should be satisfied with anything that you get to do, just do a good job and be diligent and hardworking and express the servant heart of Christ through it. Yeah, but no one is, you know, it's all the same to God, yeah. Whether you're a widow, a prisoner in of Christ, or you are a CEO of some company as a Christian, yep. it's all the same to Jesus. We'll be answering for the same uh, parameters. Did the gospel shine through you and did the love of Christ manifest through you? And um, people need to get out of that. And churches need to stop preaching that garbage because we've replaced kind of, you know, what, what we looked frowned upon. It was the prosperity gospel, um, which to me is not about wealth formation but it's about opulence self-indulgence and um but we've replaced that with vanity right we've replaced that prosperity with we switched out the money with the sense of vanity about purpose and um and i remember hearing that as a youth i bought into it for many years and um but when i became when i started our first church i started preaching like Give, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to lose your life, Mm -hmm. give up on your hopes and dreams and adopt the hopes and dreams of God, because they're righteous and holy. And if you want to know what those hopes and dreams are, read the new Testament. And right now the hope in the dream is that we don't give up on what the idea of Liberty in America and for the world, because Liberty is at the foundation of moral authority and uh, moral righteousness. If you don't have Liberty, then you have the arbitrator of morality is going to be the government and they're doing it right now. People wake up, right? Don't wait for things to get worse, to resist, resist those that are mandating this and um, the resistance needs to happen now. And number one place of power is talking information, set your mind free and begin to share thoughts and We really need to study and then we really need to share information. We need to do things like this. We need to get the word out. And um, whatever reach you have, small or large, two people, three people, it doesn't matter. But if everybody does this and the resistance is happening right now, I know the news is not sharing honestly about it. But Southwest Airlines was not grounded because of weather. Grounded because pilots were resisting. Yeah, and um, but look at—they still won't admit it. (laughs) They still won't admit the truth, and it's happening everywhere. And so, I, I, you know, Christians need to stand up right now. Yeah, and uh, join the likes of John MacArthur, you know, the Calvary Chapel pastors, Cheon. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you know, what Christian persuasion you're from. Uh, we are all we are all supporters of liberty in this country. And that will affect the rest of the planet. I'm telling you, every nation that believes in liberty is either going to fall or uh, stand based on what we do as Americans here. And that's the second reason we really need to wake up right now. Mm-hmm. This is the time we can't wait any longer. So that's that's what I think. That's where I'm standing right now with this yeah. with our church.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Honestly, I think um, you know what you brought up is actually really important because. You know, I, I've been working with college students and young adults for a long time, and let, let's be honest, for most college and students and young adults who are Christians, it's still, career's still number one priority. That's what you're spending most of your time on. That's what you're giving, that's what you're most concerned with, right? And then second is, you know, is... um you know your Christianity. But I think a big part of that is because a lot of people don't understand what the calling is. And like you said, there's a lot of teaching. I've heard a lot of it myself. It's like, your calling is, you're you know you're going to be a great, you know, you know it's always happens to worship leaders. You're going to be a great worship leader for the Lord, you know, and you're going to sell albums and you're going to go on concerts and you're going to do all this kind of stuff. And, um, and, and look, pastors struggle most with this okay? This is not, like, the idea of I want to be a great pastor, I'm going to have a multi-campus site, and I'm going to have, you know, the best-selling book. This is a, a, a huge stumbling block in the American church. And it's not just American church. It, 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 for a lot of believers, this idea of not having a clear picture of your calling, right? And I think you put it well. The way I always put it, Pastor Sam, is this idea that our callings are eternal. And I what I've really tried to do is is, Form a strong picture of what the age to come is going to be like. Because if you just imagine, as you're just going to sit on a harp up there and play, you know, sing songs for eternity, like that's not compelling to anybody, right? Nobody's compelled by that vision. You can't die to all the you know, the dreams and aspirations of this life to sit on a cloud forever and sing songs. like Nobody wants to do that. No, you have to have a robust vision of the calling that you have in the age to come, right? To share in the rulership of heaven and earth. And This is our inheritance. This is what the New Testament tells us. The inheritance of Jesus, right, is to rule over all of heaven and earth. And we are co-heirs with him, provided that we suffer with him. We will rule with him, provided that we suffer with him. And the way I understand that is we will rule to the degree that we show faithfulness, right, as manifested in suffering with him, right? Suffering is really the trial, the test that scripture emphasizes over and over again, that if you show that you're willing to suffer for him, then what it shows is that you have great faith. And that faith is precious to God, the faith that has been tested through fire, right, is what Peter says. So this, having a robust vision to be great in the next life, that's that's what drives me. And what that does is it gives me the grace. I, I've told the Lord, God, Whatever you want. I don't need to be a famous worship leader. I don't need to be a famous pastor. I don't need to be famous. I don't care. I don't care if I get fired from here. I, I, I have to be a servant to you in this life, right? What, whatever your assignment is for me, and that's how I see jobs. Jobs for me are assignments, right? And if my assignment is to work at Starbucks... Praise God! I'm going to work at Starbucks, right? If that's what God is asking me to do in this season of my life, that's and that's the most faithful position I can be in work-wise. But my calling, right? My calling is to become like Him and to demonstrate faith in this age, and He will reward me for eternity. And that's where my my gaze is fixed upon, right? And so, I think it's just many Christians are so confused on this, and they get they get seduced by saying, "Oh, I'm going to be a doctor for God," right? I'd be a doctor for God, and then you get in the reality of med school and all the debt you're gonna ha- build up over you know eight years of school and residency and et cetera, et cetera. You graduate on the side, like, oh my gosh, I have to get a good paying job. But you don't realize it, but you've been sucked. You've been saying no, right, to every decision that God, you know, a- every opportunity that God gave you, right, that could potentially threaten your career because you were convinced that your calling had something to do with your career. And this is, it's the same thing for pastors. I always try and tell pastors, look, you're not necessarily called to be a pastor. You might be in one season, but in another season, God might have a different assignment for you. It doesn't matter like that, you know, because a lot of pastors get stuck in this trap where it's like, oh my gosh, but if I get fired from being a pastor, what else can I do? Like, I'm, I can't forfeit my calling. And I'm like, no, like your identity is not Pastor. Right? Our identity is not pastor. If you get fired from being a pastor, then like I said, I can't, like, most churches won't hire me right now, right? And I don't feel bad about that. I'm like, that's okay, right? If I've got to do something else for a season of my life, fine, right? That's not who I am. Who I am is not a pastor, right? I am a son of God, and my great ambition is to be the servant of all, like him, to serve whoever he calls me to serve, in whatever capacity he's asking me to serve. This is how greatness is counted in his kingdom. So I'm glad you brought that up, because I do believe that this is a time of testing for lots of believers, right? Are we willing to make the decisions that might cost us career-wise for the sake of of standing firm upon the truth that God has given us, right? And I say that there's so many truths now that are controversial, and there's going to be more as this Marxist thing, you know, takes on greater, you know, authority in our in our country and, and in our workplaces and all this kind of stuff. And you're going to get conviction to stand against these things. And in some cases, it might cost you. But I say, well done. For those who have stood up for truth and it's cost them, I say, well done. That's like, Blessed are you, right, when people slander you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me and my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so I'm, I'm encouraged. I see like you, I do believe there is a resistance that is rising up. My only hope is that it would be a great resistance. And I see God purifying the church through all of this. So in all of the, you know, the danger that we're, that we're talking about, we, I think both you and I also see great hope in this thing. Right? That God is doing something and that this is the greatest opportunity for those of us with faith to believe that God is going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to lead us. He's going to bless us, right? Men are not, other men are not in control of our destiny. The Lord is in control of our destiny, right? And I see lots of people being challenged with this in this season. And that to me is such a good thing because that's maturity. You can't become mature being pampered your whole life. Right. Yes. And as American Christians, we have to have some humility. Like you know, like sacrifice is going to a prayer meeting. You know, oh God, I don't, I don't know if I could sacrifice. You know, that's a lot of sacrifice to. We know very little about serious sacrifice for the kingdom. You know what I mean? Like, and it's healthy. It's so healthy for us to experience some real you know, challenges to sacrifice for him. It's building real depth and maturity in the church. And yeah, like I'm thankful for these guys. Like John MacArthur, man, I hate a lot of that guy's stuff on Cessationism, man. It drives me crazy, some of the stuff he says, right? But yeah. But the courage that man has shown in this season, right? Like I appreciate his courage so much, right? And I think what we're going to be seeing in this next season is new alliances in the church. Right, and this is how denominations of old formed out of moves of God that emphasized um certain truths of the kingdom, and I think what we're gonna ready to see here is a move of of God to start emphasizing truths that are important and relevant for the age that we're living in. so I see a lot of these old denominational um you know barriers falling away, and the Lord I think is going to start giving us new things to emphasize and already you know like we feel a kindred spirit. We feel like, like this is important. We know we have to stand on this. And I didn't grow up UMC, you know, like, but those things are kind of like, who cares, right? Who cares if you can't get, you know, ordained in the UMC? Like, I don't care about that kind of stuff.
1: It's the air of legitimacy. And I think that's what the, the, um, these establishments kind of hold over people. It's like, you can't be, uh, you can't be, uh, uh, a certain thing unless you get this this uh stamp of authenticity and um i think those things are going away i to me i don't care about your certificate or your alliance with whoever or whatever prove to me what you, prove to me what you're saying let me yeah. see it yeah. let me see proof of product if you don't have proof of product i don't care what what who's legitimizing you you know and um prove it to me and so I just had this kind of thought today. And, and I, I share this a lot with people with ch- about church and pastoring. And one of the things that I want to say is um, pastoring is not the place, uh, a, a vocation or a job or whatever, minister, being a minister of the gospel uh, in the church, um, is not the place you want to fulfill its personal sense of like purpose. Our purpose is Jesus Christ and Under the governance of God, expressing the governance of God is our purpose. And that's the light that is within us by the power of the Spirit. Where and how we do that can change from seasons of time. Joseph, you know, can be in jail or it could be next to Pharaoh. It doesn't matter where the Lord places you. You could be a tent maker. Uh, You could be, you know, whatever. Um, A crap shoveler in a prison. because you've been in you've been jailed for being a pastor just you know just be faithful to the lord and be the hardest worker in the room that's my thing with people i don't care what you know fairy dreams you have if you're not the hardest worker in the room don't talk to me about it and that's the way i am with most people and right now the church needs to kind of uh, wake up to that and i think that we need to um come together and unite uh as much as we can. I think we're starting to see like who like who we can these alliances are forming and unities forming and it's kind of exciting. And um but yeah we are in this kind of this time right now. I, I, I don't feel discouraged by it. I feel kind of like excited by it. Mm-hmm. And um and but based on what you said, you know, pressure doesn't make you know you can't mature without pressure. And uh, I think it's Chris Rock did a special he was saying like you know you need pressure to make diamonds. If you hug a piece of coal, you're just going to get a dirty shirt, right? And so you know, uh, we need this right now in the church. You know, I'm with the persuasion the Lord is coming soon, and and you know, a lot of people think when the beast rises that it'll you know the whole world will un- be completely given over. I don't know, maybe there's a fight, you know if you're a um, you know if you're not a pre-trip person you can have this theology where there's a resistance all the way to the end you know and um and so i don't know i i don't i don't fall hard on you know hardline stance on when the rapture happens or anything like that but what i can do is in my time to know this is this is i only get this one life to be faithful to god and to the gospel and his commandments and this is something that we really need to do right now yeah and um and it doesn't just affect us it affects so many nations and um so i've been writing you know i've been making these videos that no one watches uh about you know uh about different things uh you know different you know what's going on in our country right now and Mm -hmm. and trying to accomplish this uh it was mostly for our church and um uh, to to help even newcomers get oriented with like the way I'm thinking and, and why how I arrived here mm-hmm. and so but this like things like this is what, what people need and I realized that most people are so busy have been so busy they don't have they haven't given the time to really think and to to reflect on these things and to see like why is this happening and um and and also because of fear mongering, just trying to survive it all until it all goes away. And I just want people to know it's not going away. <laughs> it is not going away. You are all going to die. You are all going to die, whether of COVID, car accident, of any million you know different things. You are all inevitably going to die, and you have to answer how you want to die. And uh, you can't beat if you're going to die. And so I don't want you know anyone to determine that for me apart from jesus and um and i think christians need to know uh where is jesus in their life is is he dwelling shallow or is he dwelling richly at the very place of death in your heart at the cross that is in your heart and this is the opportunity for that to take place for that exposure of the cross and death in you and uh futility in you and to encounter god there if you don't encounter god there then uh, then everything will shake you. You will be tossed by everything and manipulated by everyone that can make you afraid of dying. And um, that's how we beat this. Jesus Christ, encountering Jesus at the place of dying, in the place of your futility over sin and disease and offense and all those things, the helpless state that you're in, If you encounter Jesus Christ there and give your life to Christ there, then you will experience a resurrection glory in this life as the spirit of God comes upon you and you will not be able to be manipulated by those that use fear to manipulate. And everyone on this planet, the world, that is the way, that is at the heart of the way of the world. That is at the heart of the way of the world political systems, you know, uh, purchasing, you know, uh, anyone that wants to sell you something, they are at the foundation manipulating that, whether they know it or not. And once the sun sets you free, you will be free. And you'll be able to, without fear, you know, uh, to be able to reason with reason, count what's going on and examine what's going on. And, by and and once you're convinced that you'll be able to stand on your convictions, and you know all Christians need to leave blind cultish faith and to have a reasoned out faith that counts the costs and uh, and the 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 reality of things, and then with open eyes gives their life to a cause that may not bear fruit in your lifetime, but it it it's going to be the right thing to do. And I feel like I got that from the Korean church, a sense of duty, mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, this thing works, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And we should stand on it. And, um, and so that's kind of how I feel about this whole thing going on right now. Yeah. I, I'm excited by the resistance happening by pilots and by all these different vocations and people, parents resisting all this nonsense in schools. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. But even if all of this fails, when I stand before God, the goal was never to to succeed in the world or to please some man. You know, the goal is to say, God, I I stood for the right thing, and um, and He will judge the success of that. Yeah, and um, and so who's gonna be the judge of your life? You know, success and failure, or is it gonna be? The Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, I I I trust my life in in the Lord's uh judgment of things. You know, I might get there and God might say, Dude, you got it all wrong. I I'm Marxist. And um I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna be like, dude, God, that was real confusing though. You know.
0: Yeah, I'll take my heavenly and, um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, but I highly doubt it, right? Yeah. And um <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, but like, but you know, we have to stand right now, and not just have a private Christian faith. Yeah, uh, it has to touch everything else, yeah. or else it's not a gospel of the kingdom. It's a, and that's what they want. They want a gospel that it's just in your personal space and shut the hell up, and uh, about everything else. And uh, if you're evangelical, if you're, you know, or you know come along this kind of christianity can be political if you do it this way mm-hmm. totally mm-hmm. government sanctioned you know this is a great way you could have christianity touch every aspect of your life our version of it right and and to that i say hell no and uh and we need to resist that yeah and uh and that's the historical model given to us in scripture yeah and so i'm excited about this yeah for the ultimate goal of pleasing God and doing what I'm doing our duty.
0: Yeah, it's good. Hey, Pastor Sam, is the last question because I wanna I wanna respect your time here. Um, are there any resources that you'd highly recommend Christians check out?
1: Um, there's so many now uh, that have been compiled. Uh, this title is really really offensive. It's kind of patronizing, and so I think it makes people not want to read it. But The Calling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt is a great resource. He's not a Christian, he's a psychologist. And uh, I think he does a really good job of unpacking the psychological implications of this current social justice movement. Mm-hmm. And he would have identified as a liberal. I don't know if he still does, but um,
0: I'm sure now he's a fascist. <laughs> He was he was a liberal twenty years ago. Yeah, he was he's a called fascist. a fascist. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So he's too white yeah. and uh, a fascist, mm-hmm. too progressives. But he was self-identified as a liberal. I would, uh, you know, have people go back. And uh, second thing would be like, listen to Jordan Peterson. Mm-hmm. All of his stuff is great. He's not a fascist, and uh, he makes sense. And um, but people should go back and look at what happened. At his school, with I forgot the intern's name, um, but um you know, look at what birth Jordan launched Jordan Peterson's fame with an objective point of view, and you're you're going to see, oh, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is why we shouldn't mix power with uh marxist ideology it It, it never achieves what it's supposed to do, and uh, it always creates confusion. And contradiction. And so, all of those people, you know, Brett Weinstein, these are all liberal people. And I would recommend you listen to these people because if you're from more of a liberal bent, you know, check them out, you know. And I'm not advocating their view on Christianity or their other views about life, but just to get like a rounded out view of things. But obviously, like people that I don't necessarily theologically align with, Vodi Balkum. Uh, has a book out Mm -hmm. fault uh, lines lines about social justice from an african-american point of view you know there's so many resources like that and um just check it out but if you're a christian and this has not offended you to the point where you want to cancel dennis and me um (laughs) then please just 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 take a moment to have some self-reflection and um really study the roots of this and you, you, you will be shocked. And um, the end game here is going to be um, what they want is, is uh, cause they viewed, and this is what happens in communist countries. People is the, the reason why the Bible is illegal in China is because they don't like it. It's not because they don't like it. It's because it is the foundation of Western civilization they believe the church they persecute the church and Christians because they believe it is Western indoctrination. And the reason why they shut churches down and, um, and so at the end of the day, it's to attack the idea of capitalism. And so just keep building, but once it's gets down to its core, it's making the Bible illegal. And, um, It's going there. So if you're a progressive Christian, know what you're getting yourself into. That's where this heads. It's with you becoming agnostic and a tool for the government and you becoming a pawn to accomplishing great oppression and evil in the world. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but not. I'm really not because I'm really angry now too. Look what's happening. Look what's happening to everything that this movement has touched, where progressives touch things. Everything gets worse. And so that should prick your conscience. Stop blaming, uh, well, it didn't work because of somebody else. It didn't work because of you. And you need that conviction in order to change anything. And so have the self-respect to know the consequences of your actions. Do the math. Has things gotten better with anything that progressives touch? And I will be shocked if he could show me anything that has improved mathematically with facts and statistics. Let that really challenge you. And and the last recommendation I'll give is all of Thomas Sowell's books.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> which no one is gonna read, bro. No one's gonna read all <laughs> those books.
0: I mean, he's got great books. I would highly recommend um what? Black uh black. Liberals and white red—no, no, no, white liberals and black rednecks. Um, he goes into like the history of slavery. Um, he 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 is an economist at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. He's like super legit. His academic credentials are very legit. And um, you know, you know, he he claims in that book, which was fascinating to me, that the real story of slavery is how you know the West ended slavery. That's the real history of slavery. Um, yes. you know, fascinating. He's got a lot of other great books, but if you're looking for something specifically on the race issue, he is a black economist and he's been researching this stuff for a long time, so he is a great place to seriously check out if you're more a little more academically inclined or willing to to go through some thick books, you know.
1: Yes. And that is a specifically a wide accomplishment. <laughs> I want to I want to um <laughs> want to make me maybe maybe upset some people. Mm. Guys, you know, some, some of the things that are looked in that book is the fact that slavery is still in the world right now. There are black slaves in the Middle East, guys. Did you guys know? You know, there are black slaves currently. Slavery has been more normal in the history of mankind than it has ever not been. And the great achievement of the Europeans' colonialists And, you know, everyone is colonial, Genghis Khan, you know, if you have Mongol blood in you, then you're you're a fascist, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're Chinese, you're fascist. And uh, if you're Japanese, you're fascist. If we use the same same calculation and same measuring stick, you know, uh, (laughs) this is this is illogical. But the idea that slavery is the concoction of white people is insane. Slavery is the norm of every nation and those in power in the world through all of human history. Until, until the Europeans who are participating in the way that all the world participate in one and and in all of human history, this doesn't happen until uh, America, England and the European countries decide. Slavery is evil. Let's get rid of the institution altogether. That was the greatest happening that is, uh, in, in the history of slavery that has ever happened before. That was revolutionary. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, we could dismiss it with all this. Abraham Lincoln didn't really care. He just wanted to keep the union together. And you know, William Wilberforce. Uh, the we there's a million ways to dismiss it, but what you can't dismiss it. it never happened before. It never happened before, and it happened on the at the as the uh second great Awakening was happening, a spiritual awakening was happening right and as that happened, God raised up these Christian filled the spirit, not to twiddle their thumbs in church, but they began to speak against slavery, prick the conscience of their nations, and they made slavery an illegal institution in their countries. That is right. something that has never happened before. And you could only factually lay this at the feet of white people. And so, I love white people, man. And um,
0: (laughs) yeah, it's sad that that's a controversial statement now. But yes, yeah, I I appreciate that. Thank you, white people. My half whiteness is is thankful.
1: (laughs) Thanks to the whites. Yeah. And um, I don't know. This is it's just crazy that people think that like slavery never existed before white people, and I'm like slavery exists in every country man and um it's still happening today right i think in larger number now um the uh, human trafficking slavery move uh you know in the right. world is at a record you know high right. there's still african slaves today and um and so this uh this kind of myopic view of history and picking these things cuz it's just it's just easy it's fast food right Marxism is fast food, and it'll give you diarrhea, and you will crap your pants and blame somebody else for it. Right. And don't embarrass yourself. I really love that book that you just recommended. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an eye opener. And Thomas Sowell is uh, burdens you with facts and not feelings. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's why he's so offensive.
0: Yeah. I mean I'll Math is uh, offensive. Yeah. I mean I'll just close, you know, our conversation with this. Like, look, Trump right now is the for is the forerunner. Um not the forerunner, the front runner um for the Republican nomination um in the next election. You know, my brother just sent me an article about how, you know, he's coming back, he's gonna destroy the world. My brother hates Trump, you know. Um But look, there's a good there's a good chance that Trump is gonna be in this next election and um it's gonna be the craziest battle. I feel like we've, we've seen nothing yet compared to the battle for this next election that we're going to get. And this is going to keep getting crazier and crazier. So I'm just encouraging believers, study. Study. We have to learn mm. this stuff. We've got to get yes. the facts and the knowledge and the data because, look, the sad news is you have the entire university apparatus set against you, meaning the universities are trying media. Yeah, yep. they're training tens of thousands of activists, of of progressive activists, every single year, who are paying tens of thousands of dollars for four year training, right, and all this stuff. And so, you know, that's a lot of people are just intimidated. They don't know, they don't have enough facts or data to actually speak out. And the truth is, yeah, look, this is the, this is reality. You got to get educated, and you you can't get that education in the universities anymore. You've got to get it separately, which means that you have to be devoted to studying all this stuff. And so it's not easy, I I know, and I I apologize for that. But you got to do it if you're going to be a voice, if you're going to stand up for these convictions, you got to get the the information. You got to study the stuff.
1: Yes, and uh, I was not a Trump supporter in his first uh, election run. I did not vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a wicked witch, <laughs> and um, literally, <sighs> and um, and uh, and that could be a diverse moniker. It applies to so many things about her. Yeah. But, um, I, I just didn't, I just left it empty. And then a year into his presidency, I was just appalled by his public image. And then I start to see the results of his policies in communities that I really care about. And man, I just, I turned yeah. and, uh, and some mentors called me that are, you know, African-American and they're strong Trump supporters. And they begin to kind of tell me what's going on, and yeah, and you know, I started looking into other areas like his stance on religious freedom. Um, there's so many things that the news never reported yeah. about the things that he was doing. Yeah, uh, he's a strong nationalist versus globalist, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't want to take over the world. And um, I thought, and also, he acted the opposite of fascists. Instead of imposing things on states, he was always leaving. Things to be decided by states and he would always criticize them strongly mm-hmm. but he never imposed federal uh kind of power over states yeah and so i was like whoa this guy's not very fascist yeah <laughs> and um <laughs> in practice yeah he just sounds like one yeah. and um and he's always like promoting himself <laughs> I know. now i enjoy it <laughs> yeah, it's, now okay, it's I- kind of funny right <laughs> i enjoy it. i'm like dude I would do it too. If every day they're literally saying the opposite of what I'm doing, <laughs> yeah. I would be promoting myself every day. Yeah. And I do it at my church, like a joke all the time anyway. So I started catching on. Yeah. And so by the end of the first presidency, I was fully on board. I was like, dude, he is not a corporate politician. Mm-hmm. He's not bought out by the globalists. Mm-hmm. He's not bought out by uh, the, the uh, engine that is underlying uh, our government yeah and these people are literally just actors, yeah they just do what they're told and they say what they're told to say, yep, like our current you know president Brandon and um you know there is uh now you know and even in for a second term, I didn't tell our church to vote for him, I just share with them these are my thoughts about him, and um this is why I'm voting for him and uh actually i you know I waited and I said, this is why I voted for him. But now I'm at this point where, I'm like, guys, we need to vote for this man, and um, because all the other ones, it's not that they're individual candidates; they are all part of the same apparatus, and uh, they don't care about this country. The people pulling the strings on them have no interest in America, um, and so pastors keep telling me you need to submit to governing authority and. And what we need to say in response for right now, we need, if we were going to obey that scripture, the governing authority of this country is the Constitution of the United States of America. Yes. These people have no regard for it. So we must resist them. Yes. And um, to fulfill and obey the scriptures even. Absolutely. And so, you know, we need to do this right now. And Trump is dangerous for globalism, but advantageous for our country and at least he's a patriot that respects the Constitution. And um, in the least, you know, just examine that. Yeah. And look at what he did. Um, not what the mainstream media is saying, you know, but look at, look at, look at the, you know, the, there's so many videos, you know, just what he did for religious freedom, what he did for human trafficking, what he, you know, what he stood for in terms of supporting black communities. Um, it's historical. And so, those policies, and um, and he's not perfect, and uh, and there's a lot of flaws there, man. And uh, but the fact that he's not part of that that apparatus, anyone, for sure. anybody that's not part of the apparatus is a plus. And then, and then, you know, I wish that I'm excited for the next person that comes along after he accomplishes things to be a more kind of you know calm person but you're gonna have to have somebody like this go in there and blow everything up and just like not for people to be nervous about him mm-hmm. in dc yeah. you need somebody like that to ch- create change yeah where he's just offending everyone yeah and everyone's like what is he gonna do next he's crazy yeah and keep him guessing if you're going to go after you know the pharmaceutical industry if you're going to go after the you know media apparatus if you're going to go after all of the things that have corrupted our government and it's not being run by the constitution it's being run by corporate interests and uh corporate interests in china and um and the this idea this globalist idea that is now public Mm -hmm. and um and it's been public for a while i don't know why people think that's a weird thing to talk about it's like they're talking about it. They use the same words. Why am I crazy? <laughs> sure. I'm just repeating what they said. Yeah. And so yeah, I'm I'm fully on board with you. I'm not saying that he's the best thing, but you know, what the heck do we know? Right? He we need somebody like him right now to create to stop this. Yeah. Stop this onslaught. Yeah. From I I what I deduce is three sources is China, definitely Ch- uh the Chinese Communist Party has been at work with this for more than 40 years. And then, you know, uh, Soros and his billionaire cronies that are of his like, George Soros and of his like, and um, of his ilk. And uh, the th- third source being pseudo-Americans that are looking out and thinking that these people are going to, uh, uh, you know, uh, give them a future in the world that they're creating and uh these politicians and some of them are republican and some of them are and most of them uh, all the democratic party i think has been taken over completely and a lot of republicans have for many years and they're all playing the same game they're playing to what they want from the for them to do to make the united states uh to destroy the united states from within and make us subservient to their agenda which is ungodly yeah and unrighteous. Yeah. And so well, I, I, we have to resist. Yeah,
0: I agree with you. Um, I think that it's probably a good time to end it here. We're going pretty long, but I would love to have you back and maybe we do another episode on uh, talking about, you know, politics in the future, what's coming with Trump and everything. There's a lot, a lot there. Um, but pass yeah. I just want to say thanks so much for, you know, coming on and having this discussion with me. And, you know, just thanks for standing up for all the things that you have been standing up for, um, you know, for several years now. Appreciate you, man.
1: I appreciate you too, Dennis. Yeah, I love the white side of you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) There's a lot to be proud of. Thanks, man. All right.